0: Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung.
1: Anger tends to be the way that a narcissist will display much of their pathology, but anger is merely a reflection of what is already on the inside, and they're not managing it well.
0: Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung and I am so honored and excited to welcome Dr. Les Carter today with me. He is absolutely incredible. Uh, He has an amazing YouTube channel, a podcast. He's also a best-selling author, a therapist, and has done a lot, a lot of work in the area of narcissism. His channel on YouTube is actually called Surviving Narcissism. And he has conducted uh, like 65,000 counseling sessions and workshops and seminars. He specializes. In anger management and narcissistic personality disorder, he has—I don't even know—I half a million subscribers or more on YouTube, and he—he's—I really, really done some a lot of deep work in this area. So I'm so so excited to be talking to him today. We're going to be talking today specifically. In the area of anger management and surviving narcissism, which is so so powerful. So, thank you, Dr. Les Carter, for joining me here today.
1: Well, you're welcome. You know, when you say I had sixty five thousand counseling sessions, that means one thing, and that means I,
0: oh little...
1: wow, <laughs> I've been around and done a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, so well, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, you say you're semi-retired, but I I don't see it. I don't see how. It's possible. I mean, you're still everywhere. I mean, you're doing these YouTube videos, you're doing a podcast, you're, you know, you've written all these books. I mean, you're you're still so active and you're still doing so much and you're helping so many people. You've helped really probably millions and millions of people all over the world.
1: Well, and and, and you know because you're in the field yourself, it's uh it's an honor, you know, to uh to be able to speak. I, I I've had a an interest in this since I was literally when I was a kid. Uh, I, I was one of those inquisitive, "Why is this happening?" kind of kid, and then to be able to do it for a profession. Now I'm on the uh, the backside of my counseling practice. I did over 40 years in uh, in my therapy office, and now I've I've laid that aside, and I'm putting all of my efforts into my media stuff. So it's just an honor to be able to to say here's what I've learned, and I'm a fellow sojourner. I'm I'm pleased to share what I know with anybody that would be willing to listen, and uh, and hopefully a lot of good can come. Yeah, from.
0: and and I'm I was very honored to be on your podcast recently yeah. myself, and yes, um, but you know you really have become well known for your work in anger management thera- therapy. And how did you move from there? to your interest in narcissism
1: well Rebecca when I was back in my doctoral internship I was still in my 20s um, I had a a supervisor that had done quite a bit of work in terms of uh, anger management and his uh, teaching with me and it stuck with me all these years now is you can tell a lot about a person's pathology or healthiness by watching how they manage conflict And uh, it's in the it's really easy for somebody to say, you know, I'll be nice to you if you be nice to me and everything's going really swell. But you really can tell the depth of an individual's healthiness uh, when there's strain and stress and differentness. And that's when you see what a person is drawing upon. And so that's how I started going into my anger management. And I put together a a series of uh, workshops yeah, it was a six part series and uh, did that uh, multiple times per year for many years. And as I was talking with people about handling anger correctly, I, I would go into the distinction between suppressing your anger and being openly aggressive and passive aggressive and assertive, and then appealing to what I refer to as your higher priorities, you know, goodness and patience and self restraint, things like that. And the more I would uh, zero in on the patho- pathological uh, side of anger, you know, we kept bumping into words like control or selfishness or entitlement or fear and defensiveness. And the deeper I got into all of that, it just dawned on me. We're, we're talking about narcissism mm. here because those are the key ingredients of what narcissism is right. about. And so anger tends to be the way that a narcissist will display much of their pathology but anger is merely a reflection of what is already on the inside and they're not managing it well. And so that's where I started going more and more deeply into describing the whole narcissistic pattern. Obviously, as you well know, it's a pattern on a spectrum. And, uh, those of us who can see some of those uh, possibilities on the inside of us, we're able to own it, take responsibility for it and keep it contained. Uh, but then there are many people it's like, I don't want to keep it contained. I like being uh, my selfish self and I like being controlling and uh, I feel entitled. And so they run with it and it, it goes further and further down that spectrum to the point of where not only is their uh, self-absorption and entitlement obnoxious, but then it just leads to one episode after another, after another with anger. And the way I put it is that anger is just simmering just right there under the surface and all it takes is just one false move or one false statement from you. And boom, here it comes. And so that's how it all just it's kind of morphed over the decades of work that I've been doing all this work.
0: Yeah. I mean, because narcissists, they get triggered with that narcissistic rage. Right. I mean, it's like right there.
1: Exactly. Uh, you, you've got you've got the narcissistic rage and I'm so thankful for the uh, for the work that's done by John Gottman. He, his work is with uh, with marital therapy, but uh, you may uh, be aware of his. He, he talks about how there are four indicators that uh, would tell if a marriage is on, a, on the brink of divorce. And the four indicators are, let's see if I can remember them now, criticism, uh, contempt, um, stonewalling, and defensiveness and um, the number one ingredient that uh, of those four is contempt and that's its own special form of anger and so you can take that research as it applies to marriage and you can put it in pretty much any kind of relationship whether it's in family relations or friendships or work when a person is holding on to an attitude of contempt and they hold people in disdain and they just go straight into that place of criticism then uh, that's not a good place to be, and that obviously says much more about the person who's holding that emotion, as it, uh, as it, uh, more, much more so than the person who's receiving all the uh, the net results of it.
0: That's interesting. I, mean, as a divorce attorney, I came up with my own set of. Uh, Kind of indicators. I came up with what I call the three deadly sins of marriage, which are abuse, addiction, and adultery. I call it the three A's.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it works too. And it's very accurate <laughs> yeah. too. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen all those folks in my counseling office yeah. for sure. I was
0: like, pretty much, if I saw the three A's or a combination thereof, it was like pretty much definitely not happening. Uh, yeah. You got yeah. It. So why do narcissists respond so poorly to conflict? What does that tell us about them?
1: Well, uh, they want you to think that they're all that. But the, the way I put it is, whenever a person just falls apart in conflict with all of their anger, what they're doing is is they're illustrating exactly how inept. They really are when it comes to the people skills. Uh, Basically, first of all, selfishness is their go-to response anyway. And so when there's a difficulty, let's suppose that you and I differ on something. Well, if I'm an empathetic person, I can say, hey, Rebecca, I know that you feel this. And I'm thinking that. Let's put our heads together and figure out what's going on. Let's talk. I want to know your perspective. And you would do the same in reverse. And we would have healthy conflict resolution. That's the way healthy people do it. The narcissist, by definition, is so consumed with oneself. It's like, well, this is all about me and I don't care what you're thinking. And so they start with the the notion that you are an irrelevant person and your feelings, your perspectives, your opinions are nothing. But really what they're saying is, I don't know how to handle complexity. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do when somebody doesn't just cower to me. And that's that ineptitude. And then in addition, what's beneath so much of their anger is they're saying, I don't trust. Now, they'll say, I don't trust you. And they'll make you the problem. But it's like, I never really learned how to have an open relationship with people. I never really learned how to uh, to develop that skill. In fact, the, the trusting um, skill uh, d- doesn't exist. And frankly, when they say they don't trust you, typically there's a a whole lot of projection going on, you know, I'm not that much of a trustworthy person. So why would I trust someone else? But they don't say that because they don't have that level of awareness. And so their whole mentality is I've got to win. And all of that is just um, being carried on the inside of them. And so when conflict shows up, rather than responding to it in that clean way that I just described a moment ago, that's what uh, that's what's attached to their anger and so it comes out in a very dysfunctional kind of way and the, the amazing thing is uh no matter how far off base they are they don't take responsibility for it it's, it's still your fault it's like no you're carrying a whole lot of uh, ineptitude on the inside of yourself please admit that and it's like no i don't i don't do that and so It continues on and on and on.
0: Yeah. And and what, you know, is this due to examples they had as a child? I mean, what's the foundation of all of this dysfunctional anger?
1: Well, almost always. I know you're not supposed to say always, uh, but pretty close to it. They didn't have good role models. Uh, many times they <clears throat> themselves were on the receiving end of inappropriate anger. I mean, you mentioned abuse just a minute ago. Uh, it's, it's just a well-known fact that abusing adults very commonly were abused themselves when they were small. And you would like to think that uh, as that person grows and ages and, uh, and enters through the adult years, that they would think, man, I did not like being abused. Therefore, I'm not going to do that to someone else. But that budding narcissist, when they've been on the receiving end of inappropriate anger, they're thinking, "Okay, maybe right now I'm not going to be able to overpower this authority person in front of me, but my turn's coming. And and so, yes, they they probably had some very inappropriate uses of anger uh, within them uh, in in their own history. And so they're just just kind of compensating for that um, feeling of inadequacy that was put onto them. And then plus um, in their childhood, you know, most of the, the best way to learn anything is through modeling. And if uh, if the model was not there, then they don't have anything there to draw upon. And and so and then there's another term that I use is what I call the training of emotional incompetence. And uh, what I mean by that is, um, again, let's let's say you have a 10 year old child and that 10 year old is agitated because of something that a friend did. And so what you would do is you would sit down with that child and say, I can tell you're feeling frustrated. Let's talk about what's going on. And they explain it to you and you affirm, "Okay, I can appreciate this. How are we going going to manage this? What options do you have at a time like that? And when that 10 year old begins blaming the other kid, it's like, "Okay, I understand that other kids uh, uh, not handling things well. But where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? And so uh, you you have to train a child to individualize and think for themselves and uh, have this notion that says, I'm capable of managing my emotions. I just need to figure out uh, how that fits in my specific circumstances. Um, Most people didn't have that kind of training uh, growing up. I didn't. Uh, and uh, But budding narcissists certainly did not have that kind of training. But then healthy individuals can catch up and they can go back and can they can think well i do get to define myself and i do get to uh, figure out what my coping skills are going to be what would i like that to be and that of course is what we refer to now as relationship boundaries uh it starts with you defining yourself the the narcissist you look into their deep past none of that was there they had the modeling they had they were on the receiving end of a, of a lot of lousy emotion and instead of being the one that says, "Well, I'm going to make the adjustment," they just keep uh, they keep it going, and it just can go generation to generation until someone finally says, "Enough's enough. This is not working." But typically, that narcissist in front of you is not likely to be the one that's going to say that.
0: Yeah, and you know, here's the 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 sixty five thousand dollar question that everybody always asks. You know, can they be rehabilitated?
1: You know, every now and then, you mentioned I had about 65,000 counseling sessions and I don't know how many cases that actually represents, but a lot. Every now and then I would get someone that would come into my office and they had some pretty dysfunctional ways of engaging with people and they would just be just gut level honest with me and say, so, you know, what I'm doing is not working. I don't like the person that I've become. I've got to do something about it. And from time to time, you get that person that comes in there and typically is on the uh, the backside of some sort of uh, collapse or uh, a real uh, challenge and all that they've had. And from time to time, that person would come in. And of course, I would just lick my chops on that. It's just like, man, this is wonderful. This is why I do what I do. The odds of that happening are really yeah. low.
0: Uh,
1: unfortunately, most of the people that came into my office were the ones who were on the receiving end of that narcissist anger. And uh, and then if that narcissistic person came in to talk anything out, almost always it was like, let me defend myself because I don't think I'm going to come out very good by this other person's you know description of me. And as a result, they see therapy as being a game and they try to game the therapist and the therapist, in this case, it would be me, would have to be smart enough to know what's going on. Uh, Sometimes percentage wise, it's very low. You get uh, someone that'll say, I'm, I'm ready. Most of the time, uh, they just keep it going because it just shows that, that that darkness on the inside of the narcissist can be so deeply embedded that it's just become central to what they are.
0: Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone.
1: Knowing that a narcissist is highly controlling, that's their game. The biggest One of the biggest mistakes is uh, you can go into the counter-control flow. Uh, It's like, uh, you're gonna be stubborn with me, I'll be stubborn right back.
0: Back to school season is coming up, which can be difficult for those going through a divorce, especially when child safety is a concern. And here at Negotiate Your Best Life, My mission is definitely one to help divorce couples prepare, especially when narcissists are involved. And as you all know, I've partnered with Soberlink for a long time. And Soberlink is a system which helps with alcohol monitoring. It includes a breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to receive real-time updates and help co-parent so that You know, monitoring can be involved anytime, anywhere, swift intervention to improve child safety. And they're offering free packets right now. Go grab them. They've got checklists, communication tips, and more. Get your free packet right now, soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life they actually attach themselves to you because you have so much value they like to see people who are super confident and who are super self-assured
1: and now we return to today's show
0: and, and a lot of times they're very good at gaming the therapist aren't they
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, there would be times when uh, when uh, someone would come in and, and uh, they would be really good. In fact, there are times it's almost like they're a little bit too good. And and then later on, a family member or the person they're living with might uh, call me and say, may I have a, a private session with you? And I would hear an entirely different story. It's like good to know And uh, one of the things that can be helpful uh, when you're dealing with a narcissist is to make sure that there is uh, is open accountability and and input from uh, friends or family members or coworkers uh, that they're willing to fess up to. But, uh, you know, the, the gaming narcissist doesn't particularly want you to hear from those people. And that's part of it. But, yeah, that's it. To, to them, it's just a competition that they want to win.
0: Well, because, I mean, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll use the person's they'll trigger the the their victim or their target. And then they'll say, look, that person is also contributing or that person's also just as bad, right?
1: Oh, and that's one of their favorite games, is victim blaming. Uh in fact, uh the way back in the 70s, I I think the guy was name is Eric Shostrom, uh wrote a book called Games People Play. And uh one of his favorite games was the gotcha game. Uh, the narcissist will bait you and bait you and bait you. It's kind of like poking you in the ribs with a stick. And then when you finally say, quit it, and you get mad and uh, you blow, then that person will turn around and say, how am I supposed to deal with someone as off base as you? (laughs) So, gotcha. And and narcissists love to play that game. Of course, they fail to acknowledge their contributions to that. Imagine that.
0: They'll Um, turn around and tell um, the therapist, look, they're just as bad as I am, or they're even worse, or I'm the calm one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, and that's what we mean when we say it, it's just simply a game. Right,
0: right. And, and and is that part of their blame shifting when they become angry as well? Or tell us about blame shifting. Oh,
1: well, definitely. You know, one of the things that we say about narcissists is that they have a high level of fear and defensiveness. Well, you may have heard the old saying that the best defense is a good offense, and so part of them defending themselves is to keep you on your heels and so as long as we're over there talking about that other person's failures or disappointments or uh, personality flaws then that narcissist is thinking good that's that much less time we have to spend talking about me and my foibles and so that's part of that that's why they go into that blame shifting and then also Uh, Another of the primary indicators of narcissism is uh, they they just absolutely cannot and will not take responsibility for their contributions. It's kind of amazing when you think about the ill logic that they bring. It's like, you mean in 100% of the conflicts you've been in, it's always that other person's fault? (laughs) And if the the narcissist were honest, they'd say, well, that's that's my opinion. That's how they think. And they they can't introspect.
0: Right. So, when a person's on the receiving end of a narcissist's anger, what are some of the most common mistakes that they make?
1: Well, knowing that a narcissist is highly controlling, that's their game. The biggest, one of the biggest mistakes is uh, you can go into the counter control flow. Uh, it's like, uh, you're going to be stubborn with me, I'll be stubborn right back. You're going to be bossy with me, I know how to do that. Uh, you want to criticize me, I'll just shove it right back at you. And you get into this point-counterpoint game, and it, it just doesn't end well for you because the narcissist is good at what they do. And so they're over there thinking, game on. So one of the biggest problems that you can do is to uh, to get, uh, get yourself pulled into the point-counterpoint uh, control game uh, another is, um, uh, you can kind of go into what I call the, the three no's, um, uh, pleading, uh, no pleading, no coaxing, no convincing. Uh, they'll plead that you can plead your case with that narcissist. It's like, come on, don't you understand this? And then you try to give your rationale for why you, we need to get along better. And the narcissist is thinking, oh, I've got you eating out of my hand, don't I? So that's another thing that you don't want to do. Um, another mistake that you can make is you can try to put shame on them uh and you you can be thinking well if i can make them feel badly enough about who they are then maybe they'll reform and so you can say you know you've got to be one of the most impossible people and uh everybody i know has the same opinion of you you can just go in all this guilt tripping onto the narcissist and you know what the narcissist is gonna do uh they're gonna it's called boomerang communication they're gonna sling it right back at you uh, or another mistake that you can make is you can go into the appeasement mode uh, and try to be a people pleaser. We call that fawning, you know, just fawning all over them. I'll do anything I have to do to, uh, to keep you from being mad at me. So you wind up playing an, an enablers role. I mean, there are all sorts of things that you can do in reaction to that angry narcissist. And to them, all they're thinking is this keeps the game alive, which is what I like. This is what I live for. And they want to be on the superior end of the equation every single time. And so, like I say, they're good and they'll pound you into it. And then you walk away, you know, with your emotions bruised and hurting and like you're insinuating. Uh, then they have all this ammunition then to say, see, look what an idiot you are. And so my thing is, OK, you, you've got to know what you're, you're dealing with here. This is a dysregulated person who loves to keep you dysregulated because it keeps the focus off of themselves and uh, you, you need to know the, the game. And, and I know as an attorney for you, uh, I'm sure you had to coach your, your clients up left and right on that one.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that, that, Gets them. You're back into the mud. Now they're like, "Well, all right." Now we're back into it. Now we're going again. You know, like now we got supply. You're giving them that supply that they want. You know, I mean, once once you do that, you know, you're, you're sucked back into it, right? So you know. Uh, if you if you want to give them supply, do it strategically. You know, make a choice that I'm going to do this for a reason for a purpose because you're going to get something out of it, but not not because you know they're leading. You make the choice that you're leading
1: exactly, exactly. and uh, and that that's the key thing. It's like uh, I would constantly ask people in my office and in my seminars who sets your pace and uh the correct answer is well i guess i'm supposed to be the one that sets my pace and it's like okay that's the correct answer now in real life who sets your pace and it's it's so humbling when you realize i think that what i'm doing is i'm allowing that narcissist to push my my buttons and then people will walk away thinking "I, i lost me I became a person I didn't like. Then uh, I just started playing into their games, and uh, I don't like the version of me that comes out. And that's where we say, you know, you need to pull back. And, and what is what I just referred to as simply individualizing. You've got to individualize. Uh, you can't assume that if things are going to move forward in a healthy way that the narcissist is going to say, well, I'd like to join you, because they won't. And so uh, you uh, you decide, well, I'm going to go ahead and maintain my distinctives with or without, usually without, the narcissist's blessing or coordination or cooperation. And it's easy for good old Les Carter to say that's the way to do it, but it, it so cuts against the grain of the way we're wired because most of us want to have that that uh, connectedness and that back and forth which is why we get into relationships in the first place and so it can feel counterintuitive but you just gotta practice self-care because the narcissist sure isn't going to go
0: into that space no. yeah so uh tell it tell us about calm firmness what's that
1: well <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite terms that i like to use um, on one hand uh, when we when we talk about having relationship boundaries uh we need to have firmness uh you want to know this is what does work for me this is what does not work for me these are the needs that i have that i don't want to negotiate um, and uh, these are the the the, the uh, elements of treatment that i want to maintain and if you choose not to go along with me i get it but i'm going to move on and so you decide for yourself who you're going to be that's the firmness uh you do so knowing full well that the narcissist is just waiting for you to take a breath so that they can break in and say, well, let me tell you how stupid that is. Or let me tell you how you're far off base. And it's at that point that you don't take the bait. You have firmness, but then the ultimate, um, tool that you have in your toolbox that they don't know what to do with is your calmness. You want to get to the point of saying, you know, I make sense. I trust myself. One of the the uh, the YouTube videos that I did a while back, uh, it's called Your Ultimate Superpower uh, when you're dealing with a narcissist. And the superpower is self-trust. It's like, well, when I say something, I make sense. And when the narcissist uh, says they don't like it. Well, bottom line is they're predisposed to not like it. You remember that that cereal uh, commercial? Uh, Give it to Mikey. He hates everything. Yeah, I
0: remember that. (laughs) Probably totally hates me. But uh, I was a little kid when that was out. But yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. And and so in calmness, it's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and factor in the the idea that the narcissist thinks very poorly of me. I get it. It's not comfortable. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But there it is. And I just feel no particular need to have to. Plead my case with somebody who takes my words and tries to play a manipulative game with it. I'm not going to do that. And so that's the calmness. So we add firmness to calmness. And that's a lethal combination as far as the narcissist goes, because it's your way of saying, I'm not um, engaging. If you want to win, guess what? You can win in the game of uh, thinking that you're superior over me because you see, I don't care. Uh, and I'm not uh,
0: engaging and I, with I'm you I'm not, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly
1: so that's the calm firmness and that's the individualization that i'm talking about and then when they want to come back and say well you're still terrible you're still awful then my response is going to be i understand mm-hmm. that, that that's the way you feel and then there's the approach that i refer to as the nonetheless approach nonetheless i'm going to proceed. Yeah. And I'm going to be. Me. Yeah.
0: I, I, I like to say, you know, I agree that that's how you feel.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. It's like, I've agreed with you that that's how you feel. Uh, it's like basically, yeah. I've agreed with nothing, but, you know, they. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and, and you know, when you're uh, legal negotiations at some point, uh they're the the other side when they just keep coming at you it's just it, it's just cla- you know just clanging noise yeah
0: yeah i mean
1: yeah. It, you you remember the the peanuts uh cartoons when you have the kids and then when the uh the oh, yeah, were wah, talking, wah, wah. it would just be wah, yeah
0: wah, wah, wah. exactly this <laughs> just, you're, you're just background yeah, noise exactly now. And, uh, exactly yeah. exactly Well, i interviewed judge lynn toller uh who was on the tv's divorce court for 17 years and uh and she okay. said you know you just watch it like watch them go by like as if you're watching something you know on television or something you just sort of like observe start observing them as if you're observing a third party you know
1: you, you know it, it's it's kind of sad to say but narcissists um it, They can differ in the way that they play out their pathology, but they're absurdly predictable.
0: Exactly. I I say they're heinous and horrible to deal with, but in some ways simple because they are so predictable. You know, right. But um, so can you ever expect a time when they will cease their anger and settle into a reasonable way of handling conflict? Well,
1: wouldn't that be nice? But uh, we, we go back to the fact that they're, they they carry this ineptitude that uh, they would have to first admit. Uh, as a simple illustration, uh, I remember when I was in college and uh, I I didn't have a whole lot of money at the time and I, I needed to tune up my car. And I had a buddy and, and uh, he said, well, you know, I can teach you how to do it. And so what I had to do is I had to say, OK, you're going to need to start with the basics with me. Um, tell me what a carburetor is and tell me what I have to do with this. And we went down to the car shop, the uh, car um, parts shop, and we got all the stuff. And I was able to tune my car with six dollars worth of material. that and it would have cost thirty nine dollars to let Jack's Tex go do it. And uh, and so by saying, I don't know how to do it, but I'm, I'm willing to learn. Uh, that's what you have to do. Now, take that on a much broader level. To your personality and your relating skills, the narcissist, in order to move forward, would have to say, I'm kind of in over my head here. Uh, I suspect that I could figure it out, but would you be willing to walk me through it? That's not, not in their happening. wheelhouse. Right. Uh, to them, uh, vulnerability is uh, its kryptonite. It's like, if I show myself to be vulnerable, I'm just going to melt
0: like the wicked witch of the the west in the in (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: exactly that's exactly right so can they yeah maybe but the the odds are so low that you just have to presume uh uh, this person in front of me is probably not going to be the one that does it and then i go back to my word individualization i'm going to have to individualize my efforts um because if uh if I don't take care of me, I sure can't count on that narcissistic person to step in the gap and and do what's right by me.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. Which is why, you know, I the way I teach people how to negotiate is to create leverage around potentially exposing them because that is their kryptonite.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, uh they image control is so important. Yeah. And uh Absolutely. So and yeah. So you have to know yourself uh, in order to have this calm confidence I'm talking about. But part of knowing yourself is also being aware enough of that person in front of you, too, that you know where what they're coming at you with so that it doesn't catch you absolutely,
0: off guard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. This was so powerful. I, I mean, I want to encourage everybody to go back and listen to this episode a few times a few times. And you are such a wealth of knowledge. I, I definitely want to have you back on the show again, I, because you are um, such a font of knowledge that this was really, really, really powerful. So thank you, Dr. Les Carter. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they get your books and all that?
1: Well, the uh, and, and by the way, thank you for having me, Rebecca. I, I so appreciate what you do and, and what you stand for. Um, of course, I have my YouTube and that's Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Les Carter. We have our um, uh, website, survivingnarcissism.tv, and I've got a ton of articles on there and tests and and, uh, and then also, that also can give you links to my podcast, which is also calling uh, called the Surviving Narcissism Podcast. So there are plenty of resources. And like I said, just a few moments ago, I'm always honored when someone allows me to join them on their journey with them. And uh, and so uh, you know it's out there, it's available, and I hope people can uh, make good use out of it. And uh over there on my Surviving Narcissism channel, I, I refer to all my followers as Team Healthy. So uh, lo- love for everybody to just come over and join me on Team. Yeah, Healthy.
0: absolutely. So go check him out, go follow him, uh, go look at his resources. He's really a font of incredible information. So thank you so much for joining me here today and. You are absolutely an amazing, amazing resource. So thank you.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. My best to you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening.